Do you feel as if reality has been altered? That something or someone has interfered with our collective present moment? Then this is the podcast for you. This is the sound of duality. This has the sound of a DMT molecule as it travels through your body, opening you to the knowledge that you seek. It's also the sound of sheep and bliss, wandering this universe and the concept of Sonder as you play a lead role created by these two states of being. Pull up a pew and take a seat. This is a podcast of all you touch and all you see. The guests are everything in between. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the duality of each state of being and the very thin line between each. All right, this is Drew. This is Pull Up a Pew podcast. I actually think that was my longer intro. <laughs> I had made that a little bit shorter before. It is a little bit long, though. I think it's very cool. I have Neil Fontaine here with me, um, and I've really, really been looking forward to doing this uh, this interview. I know Neil's very busy. Uh, he's always working on um, something different um, with his uh, theory. Uh Neil has a theory of everything or a toe. Uh, he is the originator of nomicism, and that's what we're going to be talking about today and going over um, the basics of uh, Neil's theory and, uh, and, a, and a little bit uh, additional information on uh, reincarnation. And then kind of stop there because the goal is going to be to get you guys to go and to watch the videos that he has, and he's got many. You can you can spend hours and hours and hours uh, of going over this information and and learning it. Um, and I hope uh, he mentions as well. He's also an incredible artist <laughs> as well. So welcome, Neil. Um, hey, why don't you just uh, introduce yourself and just give people a little bit of background on on uh, on you and um, and how you kind of came up uh, with the origination of the theory. So um, I know it's going to sound strange to some people, but so basically what happened is uh, I first remembered how to meditate when I was about 10 years old. I just woke up one day and just knew how to do it. I didn't grow up in a family. I grew up in a typical American family, so I didn't grow up with people that talked about meditation. I didn't even know what that word meant, actually. And so at the time, I didn't call it that. Um, And so I I just started doing it. I started meditating in the way that I meditate. Um, It's my own version of meditation, which I show on the side how to do. And I give a couple guided meditations of doing it as well. And uh, what, what started happening when I was young is I would be meditating and then I would, my, uh, my mind, like, you know, the, you ha- like, you're, you know how your head, when you're thinking about stuff, your head kind of feels bigger than your, mm-hmm. or your mind or your consciousness, it feels bigger than your actual body or your head. Like yeah. when you visualize stuff, it sometimes feels like it's outside, like in front of you or something. When I get little dumps of info, I feel like that sometimes. And so what happened, I was meditating and all of a sudden my mind, my consciousness felt like it was as big as my house. And that was freak. It freaked me out. Cause I'm like, what is, what is, what is going on? This is cause I really, yeah. I literally felt like I expanded. That's much different. <laughs> yeah. I literally felt like I was as big as my house. I'm like, I don't think this wow. is normal. I don't think I'm supposed to feel this way. And so I would snap myself out of the meditation and it'd come back to normal. Um, and I, as I got you know more used to that, that sensation, I, I would experience it more often. And I was uh, less scared of it. So I would just allow it to happen and kind of just live in that moment. 
Um, well, uh, over over the years, sometimes that experience would get larger than the house. So it'd get even bigger. And um, not, nothing like major ever happened with meditation most of the time. It was, you know, really interesting things like maybe sometimes little visions or insights, things like that. But it wasn't until I was in my 20s that one day, oh, and I forgot to mention this, that I would, I would get this portal that would open up sometimes. I didn't know what it was. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a vortex and would just open up and I would see it and it would feel like it was trying to pull me in. And that doesn't make a lot of sense because when you're meditating, I didn't feel like it was trying to pull my body in. I felt like it was trying mm-hmm. to pull me in, but I felt you know, separate or disconnected from the body when I was in this state. And it, it would scare me. And so I would never I would never allow it. Every time it would start to pull me toward it, I would snap myself out of the meditation and it would go away. That's very and, similar. I don't mean to interrupt, but just to oh, some DMT experiences that people have um, talk about that as well a little bit. Just yeah, similar. Yeah, later on when I read about DMT, I found it really interesting. I'm like, hey, I kind of do that with meditation. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting because I never actually tried it before. It is. It's very powerful. Meaning you so, being able to do it through meditation. Right. And so um, so that would happen you know, periodically, and I would always get too scared to go through the portal. And then one day in my 20s, I decided that I, you know, if I got that portal, I would try not to fear it. And so I put on this relaxing YouTube video. I can't remember what it was. This was back when I think YouTube wasn't owned by Google yet. And I, I put up because I'm like 41 now. And so I put on this Google video and I, I just started listening to it. It was very relaxing. It just said like, relax, go with it. You know, typical kind of mm-hmm. meditated, meditation stuff. And for some reason, when the portal showed up, I had no fear. I just went, I just went right into the portal, like no fear at all. And I, I don't know if, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I was just ready or if it was partly that relaxing video. Either way, I went through it. And when I did, as I was going into the portal, my consciousness, what I said, remember before I said it would expand to like the size of the house, right. it felt like it expanded to the size of the universe. It just kept going bigger and bigger. And that was really freaky. I started freaking mm-hmm. me out. And But at this point, I was already so deep into the portal that I, I felt like it was too late to come back. I couldn't <laughs> snap myself out of it. Yeah, sure. And so I was like, I, when I, once I started getting freaked out, it was too late. And then next thing you know, I was in myself. I remembered everything. I remembered everything I've ever been, every reincarnation I've ever had, every in-between life I've ever experienced, every moment as uh, the small little, you know, dumb creature that I started out as. Mm-hmm. Literally everything. I had there was nothing that I didn't have access to. Like every experience I ever experienced, I remembered at that moment, and uh, I had total peace about it. I wasn't that wasn't scary at all. Like once I was there, all fear went away, and I was just in that moment. That, and I remember look. Um, yeah, I, I remember looking. Think, I don't mean to interrupt. I just made me oh, think of something real quick. Just you know, like the, the, the pineal gland um, and how it works, and, and they say that you know your your body naturally does produce DMT. I wonder if your body is completely different in that it it does uh, dump massive amounts of uh, DMT. I don't know what just made me think of that, but. Um, Anyways, go ahead. <laughs> go on. It just made me think of that. It's just similar um, to how big of an experience it was and, and uh, to kind of go with it, like you said, you know, once you're in there. Um, yeah, just to go. Right, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't until after this, after this experience that I, I was, it was a couple of years later that I heard about DMT and started reading about it. And I'm like, wow, that's really interesting. The, the experience sounds like it could be, there's some crossover. And um so when I was there, this was interesting. So when I start, whenever I started meditating, uh, like lay down and meditate like that, I always look at the clocks. I always want to see the time difference because it's always different. Like I might 
feel like I meditated for hours, but literally only 15 minutes went by. And this was one of those moments. So really, um, yeah, this was one of those moments where only 30 minutes went by on the clock. So when I came back from this, only 30 minutes had elapsed on the clock, but I felt like I was there for a long time. Lifetime. And yeah, because I, I came back with, with all the information. I came back with my understanding of, you know, my, my understanding that is my true self. I, I was, I was now awakened to my true self too, which was scary because when I came back, my, well, I should say my body was scared because the body really does believe it is its own self and it wants to believe that. It's like, uh, and my understanding, what I came back with is that human consciousness is actually basically a split personality of your actual self. And so it's yourself being limited by the body in a big way. So you're not, you're not being fully expressed in, in, through human consciousness. And most people walk around thinking their human consciousness, their thoughts in their head, that that's who they are. And, and I did too. And I thought, well, that's, you know, I, I believed before this, I actually was a Christian. Uh, for the most part, I actually let go of the Bible and stuff, but I still believed in Jesus and all that. After this, I came when I came back with my knowledge and memory, I, I immediately none of that was real anymore. Um, everything was my beliefs changed night and day, and in, in one moment, that one moment changed. I read the dogma. And, uh... Yeah, it changed me forever. I didn't change as a person too much. Um, you know, I still had the same personality for the most part, but in, in other ways, I did change a lot because pr- prior to that, I was. I was much more of a fighter kind of person. And I came back, like people said, I came back like Buddha or something. They're just like, you're so different as far as how you deal with things about you, like around you and stuff. I came yeah. back very, very much more Glowing. passive. <laughs> yeah. I came back much, much more pacifist. Sorry. No, no worries, man. I'm going to try to have the dog. Uh, <laughs> the quieted. Dog. I'm just, I'm just going to wait a second. If you don't mind just. Uh, yeah, 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 no problem. You, you you can cut parts out, right? Yep. Okay, cool. To make it easier for you to figure out what to cut out. Yeah, it'll be fine. She'll stop in a second. I just gotta supply the UPS guy or something. Might not even have to. This this is real life, man. <laughs> life goes on. <laughs> yeah. I just want. I just want. Uh, it to be easier to easy to hear me. I can't hear her and it's not that loud. Oh, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. I think she's just about done. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, when, when I came back, I came back with, you know, all this information and, and it slightly uh, altered me, but the, the biggest thing for me, and I think this is, I think this part is, is worth noting is that when I came back, I realized that what I thought was God didn't exist. I believed in this very personal entity, you know, my whole life ever since I was a little kid, I always saw God as this very personal entity. I, n- I never saw him as a man in the sky, but something that was all around, but I did see it as a personal entity that you can talk to and mm-hmm. it can actually hear you and answer like an actual person. And when I came back from this experience, that was gone. Um, and in fact, for a long time, I just called myself an atheist because uh, I didn't, the, what I called the source just didn't seem like God. Uh, now I've decided no other, to go ahead. No other term to use at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I decided to go ahead and just embrace the word God again. I just define it very differently, but it, as a non-personal thing, I, after I started realizing, Hey, there are people that believe in a non-personal God, like, like the mm-hmm. Hindu Brahmins and stuff like that. Anyway. So that, that was a, probably the most um, scary thing that ever happened to me because when I, 
when I came back, God was my best friend at that time. So when I came back and there was no best friend, it, it was very difficult. I, I literally felt like I had no floor beneath my feet when I came back out of that meditation. I felt like I, I, I nothing felt real to me. I'm like, what is going on? This doesn't, how can God, I mean, how can I not be real? How can God not be real? None of this makes sense because <laughs> it was such a paradigm you shift of, of my ideas. From, from yourself, from, from like your, your grounded self is what you're saying? Like, uh... Well, yeah, because it, it challenged everything I thought was real. You right. Know, when I came when I came back, all of a sudden now the the world was a digital universe. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, like how can things be virtual? How can my human conscious not be myself? Like all this my my beliefs were turned 180 and it made no sense. At first, to my to my brain it made no sense. And Myself this was obviously before that was really even a, a thing too, uh, what you're talking about with it being a digital based reality. Oh right, which yeah. Even more interesting, yeah. Yeah, no, no one was talking about this stuff back then. Yeah. Any anyone talking about virtual reality back then was was wacko, like uh, David Icke or something. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> and so uh, I, I pretty much didn't talk about it with people because um, I was still trying to grasp it myself, like what just happened. And it took me several years before I even really started sharing it with people because I'm like, people are going to think I'm crazy. They're not going to understand what I'm talking about. And like, how do I? How do, and so it took me a while to kind of put it into human words. So I, I spent a long time trying to figure out how do I put this in words. Another thing that happened too, when I came back from that 30 minute meditation was, well, one, I came back with literally probably, I can probably fill up a encyclopedia worth of knowledge, not, not just of my own experiences, like past lives and stuff like that, mostly knowledge about how the universe works, you know, what, what everything's made of, you know, all the stuff that I've learned over, over many lifetimes that I've, that I've come to understand about the universe. And I Would could, you say that that's similar to like when they talk about the Akashic records? It, it, yeah, that, I think that that idea is interesting, and it, it kind of it feels. I know similar. it's not the same thing, but right, but that just so people could maybe in their mind understand. We all, a bit. I do. There is something like that. Like there is you, when you're in between lives and you reach high states of meditation, you can have access to the information of the universe. And that's kind of like the Akashic records. You can actually access the past, the present, the future, because all that exists always. Oh, it's always. all it's all an open book. Yeah. So you can access all this all this information, but some of it's a lot harder to access than others. And and some of it is a lot harder to understand than others. Yeah. You know, to you know, you have to, you know, to understand uh, a super high, let's say complex physics idea, you have to have the intelligence to do that. You can't just be a five year old child and expect to understand Einstein, for example. And so yeah, there's some, I was, there's, just taught, I was just thinking about this stuff earlier before you even uh, called me um, on different steps like that and uh, in learning. And especially I was thinking about D-Wave and AI and a bunch of different things and how you'd go about explaining those things to people. And it's, it's very difficult. You'd have to start from a very baby step level, um, especially of language and, and how they use um, uh, jargon, you know, against us so that people, you know, can't understand even just basic concepts, which I think they can do without the mathematics. So, right. sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. And so, <laughs> yeah. So, so basically every, everyone also has their own like personal Akashic records within their true self. So like most people don't remember their past lives and things like that. So you have all this knowledge in your actual self that you can access, you know, through meditation and stuff and through trying to, trying to awaken. And that's what was available to me was all that. And, you know, that, so I'm, I've always been a big skeptic. So when I came back from this experience, I was very skeptical of what just happened. I'm like, maybe my brain hallucinated. You know, I was thinking all this kind of stuff. But what what helped 
remove that doubt, that skepticism, was I'm like, how could I have invented, in 30 minutes, invented an entire new belief system that I've never believed before, never even contemplated or thought about, and an entire model, an entire working model of the universe that it was far out to me at the time. I, I, there was nothing like, I'd never heard anything like that before. So I'm like, how is that possible that in 30 minutes, I literally came back with enough information that I can fill up books and books and books worth of, of And without knowledge. the scientific background, but to me, that actually adds even more validity to it. Because I think with the scientific background, there there is so much dogma and just, uh, you know, written book learning material that would get in the way that for you to be able to do that, at least to me, it just, it adds even more validity to all this really does. Right. And so that, that, that helped me too. Like over the years, as I started looking more at physics and stuff, I started seeing things that I'm like, Hey, that's, that's, that kind of lines up with what I, what I already understand that I remembered back, you know, years ago. And so as, you know, as time went on and even now there's still more and more stuff that they're finding and discovering and coming out with. And I'm like, Hey, that goes right along with what I what I what I already understand. If they were just to tweak their under, you know, like the math works just fine. Everything they understand works fine. Their interpretation might be might be wrong, but there's many ways. To, <laughs> to you, yeah, there's many ways to interpret, you know, data. You know, like you know, for example, the the fight between Copenhagen and mm-hmm. the multi the, the many worlds theory. They both are interpreting the exact same data, but they come out with very different ideas of how the universe is based on that one thing. That is to try to explain why does the waveform collapse mm-hmm. within like the double set experiment, delayed choice, quantum eraser, and such. And so my my idea is, is kind of like in between those. It it kind of bridges the gap between both of those. I'm like, well, that's really interesting because if this is if this is true, this is how the universe is then it, it answers all these paradoxes that are present right now within physics and stuff and within con- conscious studies. And I just, I, I've noticed that any, anything I study, I'm like, Hey, I have an answer for that paradox within my theory. Like it answers everything. It wasn't like I was, that wasn't what I was trying to do, you know, many years ago, I just remembered it and, and you know, put it down. And yeah, then, it just worked, you know? yeah. And, and then as, as I learn more about these different fields, I'm like, Hey, this, actually answers all that stuff things that i didn't didn't even know were paradoxes or i didn't know where it was a problem at all and so yeah that that uh that's basically how it how it happened and then uh over the years i have um you know come come more and more to grips with with that's is who i am and another thing that happened too is um i think this is kind of important so when i was young the first time this ever happened to me i was four years old and I was living with my, I wasn't living with her, but I would visit a lot, my my grandma on my dad's side. And I used to love going to the big window she had. And whenever the trash, the trash guy would come with the big truck and use its arms, you know, the robotic arms to pick up the big trash can and dump it. I used to love watching that. And one day while I was watching that, I had this sensation that um, I was inside my body looking through my eyeballs as though they were windows and that my body was inside the house looking through the window of the house. And so I felt like I was in a house in a house. It was yeah. a really weird experience. And I remember I, you know, I used, I used, I would experience it every now and again from that point onward, uh, just, just randomly like doing it's dishes like or something. Within a dream, within a dream. Like <laughs> yeah. It was just, but, but except I, I literally felt like I was just something in this body and the, and the body was like a vessel to me and I'm just looking yeah. out the eyes and it was a really strange feeling. 
Yeah. And um, I never, I never understood like why I felt that, you know, I obviously, you know, when, as I became Christian, I thought, well, maybe it's my soul or something. And then, you know, obviously after my awakening, I realized what it was. That was my true self trying to come forward, like to try to become aware that, Hey, I'm not this body. You're just inside of this well, body. And that is how it works. It's just our, our brains are in, encased in this, in this skull that is completely dark and all we have are those basic senses, right? To reach out and 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 to get us to gather as much data and information as we can. But it's so tiny, right? I mean, it's just this little sliver of information that's that's given to us. So, yeah, it's yeah, so. um. Anyways, yeah, but that it's opening you up though to I think expanding your ability to go outside of that little sliver much much further, you know, than than other people. Yeah. So now ever since that experience, I've always had this dual awareness. So I always feel like that now. Like they used to only happen every now and again. Now I feel like that 24 seven. I always feel like I'm something inside the body looking through the eyes as the windows. And I'm always having two different kinds of conscious. I have my higher level of awareness and consciousness. Then I have my brain's awareness and I can, I can analyze my brain and I can you know, like see it thinking while it's thinking and understand why, why it's thinking what it's thinking. I, I literally have this, I just call it a dual consciousness. Um, I'm aware, I'm aware, I'm aware fully of both myself and my brain, my, my split, as I call it, as everyone has that, you know, anyone that has human conscious, which is everyone that's a human <laughs> has that split awareness. Well, they just, they might not wear They might only be aware of the split like that. They literally think that they are the human consciousness, but I think have everyone at some point has experienced speech? it. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Have you ever heard of Anthony Peak before? Don't think so. He's a, yeah, just in the consciousness studies and things, and just makes me think because he's got a an idea of what's called the daemon, which is a little similar. It's, it's different, but similar, just that it's a higher self that's uh, kind of governing you and making those decisions and almost like collapsing those wave functions. It's, it's a duality idea. Um, it's different. I just wasn't sure if you'd ever heard of him. Well, I mean, even in, even in psychology, there's this idea that we have the unconscious self. And to me, that unconscious self that they don't understand yet is yourself. That's the real you. That's the the one that's actually making the choices. And what's interesting is there's new studies coming out now that are showing that when, when you think you made a choice, it was actually your unconscious mind that made the choice before you even way before right yeah before you even thought to make it and that totally goes in line with what i understand that the true self makes the choice not the body the body just reacts to the choice you made you're right yeah and these new studies are showing that to be true so it's kind of interesting most people use that to say you don't have free will it's like well yeah the human consciousness doesn't have free will that doesn't mean you don't (laughs) because you're different than the human yeah so they just have to think about it differently. If they if they think about it that they're only the human consciousness, then they're right. They they don't have free will if that's what they believe that that's all that exists. But if there a is a higher paradigm self, shift in thinking that that's all right. it takes for people. They just got to be open to this and they can understand it. Yeah, yeah, that's something I debate a lot. Is 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 free will with 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 different atheists I've known for years. But yeah, so that's pretty much um, you know that's what the history of how I came to this understanding. Yeah. yeah. Get into the into the two D um, plane, like kind of how this works. So what so what what it was that I remembered about about the universe, basically. So right. yeah, so when I had this experience, I you know, like I said, I came back with all this knowledge about how things work and myself and everything, consciousness, all this kind of stuff. And the the part that probably 
weirded me out the most that was hardest to grasp or hardest to deal with at first was this idea that everything that reality was actually two-dimensional. I mean, it's three-dimensional in the sense that there is a virtual third dimension, but the fundamentals of reality is this two-dimensional plane of an infinite sea of information is the best, I guess that's an analogy. It's not truly information in the sense that we think of it, but you know, within this two-dimensional sea, there is every possible moment that could ever be. So if, like, if think about the many worlds theory, mm-hmm. all, all possible paths you can ever take they all exist and they always have always existed and this and this um it definitely coincides with physics as physics shows that all time is just always there is no there's no way to account for the the flow of time in physics and and that's how i i understood it that that truly that's how reality functions that there is just an infinite sea of every possibility of everything that could ever be and that's what exists and then from that they're, I, I call them purons. Uh, these are just uh, just a name right. I made up. Remember that, yeah. But basically, there's some sort of fundamental stuff there, two-dimensional uh, particles that, if you want to call them that, two-dimensional packets of information that interact. And they, when they do, they cause emergent properties. And some of those emergent properties, well, one of the, the, the major emergent properties that eventually happens is the three dimensions that we experience now that we call the universe, that, that third virtual dimension. And again, and, I think that's where they're catching up to the ideas that you had before they came out, like with the holographic universe or them thinking of, you know, of a 2D plane now yeah, somewhat. To, to be fair, though, the holographic principle was right? around. Yeah, to be fair, the holographic principle was around before I was born. So, uh, you know, it's, it's it wasn't popular, but it was, you know, physicists, okay. physicists knew of it. It just, you know, they also knew of simulation it's theory. Easy. It's just only recently that this stuff is actually becoming becoming popular because of people like you know uh, Gates that saw mm-hmm. within supersymmetry that there is this um, you know basically something similar to a, a error correction code that we have the on code. the web. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, so different things like and also just physics it just keeps pointing to it. I mean, one of the first that really started talking about was John Wheeler, uh, the physicist, and he really he wrote he wrote the paper It from Bit and said that fundamentally everything is information. And that's, okay. and, and I think that's kind of true. But if that is true, if fundamentally everything is information, then it, and, and information is doing stuff, meaning there's processing, then more fundamental would be the processing. And this is what you know when I re, when I had my my wake, awakening experience, that was how I understood it. That there is this of, eternal of the data, you're saying, right? Because right, yeah, there, there's this, e- okay, yeah, yeah, there's this eternal processing happening, and. And that that eternal processing is what makes everything what it is, and so within that two dimensional uh, plane, there's obviously the static side. That's the side that just stores everything, every like a hard drive. Every moment that could ever ever be is stored there. The dynamic side, the side, this the part that moves, is this is the processing itself, the processing of that data, and. Um, I, I, I won't get into why consciousness is. I, I have a video on my side. Making side, kind of, just to kind of like that's where the you're you're almost collapsing the wave function and then living. Well, it gives that life. It gives is rise that, to consciousness because. I don't so want to said, confuse people. So. Yeah, yeah. The dynamic part is is the part that is. If there was no dynamic part, then there would just be nothing, right? There would just nothing. be this this static. Right. <laughs> information out there, but what, what what would that mean if there's nothing to comprehend it? Exactly. And so 
the, the dynamic side is the processing of all the information, putting it into like a linear timeline. And when that happens, when it, when it, when it actualizes and this comes into being in some real way, that creates this, this three-dimensional reality that, that we experience. And part of that is consciousness. And I go into to that great detail about exactly how and why we're conscious in, in, one, in one of the videos. But basically, imagine that what makes you your core person, that is the core personality that you are, is mm-hmm. all possible moments that you could ever experience exist in that two-dimensional, that two-dimensional plane. All that is kind of reflected or mirrored in this three dimensions. Yeah. And that, that mirroring of every possible thing you could ever do is what makes your core personality. But you're only experiencing parts of it as you as you're choosing which paths to go down. But ultimately, what makes you you is all those possible moments that you could ever do. And we've done them all, right? I mean, we've 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 experienced every one of them, correct? I I, I have a I have another video called the Ultimate Self, and I this is I, I say that in the video that this is something that it may I, I have this information in my head for some reason, but I don't remember if that is what actually happens or if we, if it is possible to actually live forever. So um, the idea basically is that eventually you experience everything you could possibly experience from that point onward, you can either live forever or you would just cycle back and start over again. I don't know which one's true. Yeah. Cause the way I'm thinking about it too, would then add more of that personal element of the nom having some type of intelligence and then wanting to experience everything. So I don't know if that would, if that would work with what you're saying. Anyway, yeah, but even so. you know, even when your consciousness first starts within this three-dimensional world, even if it recycles every time, you you forget everything. It's kind of like when you're reincarnated, you forget your past lives. Most people don't remember anything; they only remember this life. Um, and so it's kind of like that. But except when you go through the ultimate cycle, when you cycle, not reincarnate, then you forget why? all your lives, all your experiences, and you start over all over again as a little note, as a little like. Have you thought nothing. about that? Why would why would that be? Why do you think that it it doesn't want us to know? I'm I'm giving it a personal name, but uh, that it, it doesn't want us to to know our past life. What would be the reason for that? Do you think? Oh yeah. So like, why is it when we reincarnate we forget? Yeah. So so what happens is. Um, when you're born, the I'm, I'm just gonna call it soul because it's easier to to I think right. use that word. People understand it. So when the soul, rather, let me, let me, I'll word it differently. The moment that the sperm enters the egg and that becomes a single-celled organism, the soul enters at that point. That's when the soul reincarnates, mm-hmm. and it literally inter- intertwines. Think of the soul more like like smoke. It, it's not. It's a formless form, so it doesn't it doesn't have to be rigid. It, it can it can flow within itself, right? So when or like light, and so when it enters into the cell, it literally enters into every DNA molecule throughout that soul or throughout that soul throughout that cell. So I, to say. <laughs> I got it. No, yeah. So so now it's it's interconnected with every single DNA bit, and all the all the DNA bits have the same information, outside of some that might you know have damage on them. But you know, the, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Every piece of DNA has the same information in it, but now it's interconnected to that entire cell. When that cell divides and becomes two cells, so does the soul divide and become. It doesn't become two, but you know it's it's now divided among two cells, and then four, then eight, sixteen, so forth, and eventually it becomes this clump. And now it's got billions of cells, and it's intertwined with all those billions of cells and all that all that DNA. What starts to happen is the soul starts to identify with this process of dividing. And it starts, and as it starts to identify, it starts to, 
I guess, come up with another under, another awareness, another understanding that is only within that. It's like a limited understanding of itself. And as that continues to divide and grow into a into a brain, into a oh, it allows you to process, as you were saying. I think. Um... Right, wouldn't it? Like it would kind of uh, give you the ability to process the data um, with the cells, uh, having all of that information, and then right. it makes me think of entanglement. Um, maybe that having to do with why and how things are entangled. Well, what happens is, um, so at that point, the soul still knows what it is, but once it starts to develop a brain, and and it starts to identify with the thoughts in that brain. It gets lost somewhere along the line between that point and age four or five, whatever. It really starts to get lost, and it starts to identify with this consciousness, with these thoughts it always has within within this form, and that's how you develop this what I call split personality, which is human consciousness. And that's how that's how you forget that you you get so attached, so involved with this experience that you're having that you you think that's what you are, and you just kind of let go of all your other memories, and that 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 process of Becoming one with the body is what tears you away from all your past experiences, and also the brain is very limiting. The brain can only oh, yeah, maybe hold so much data. Mechanism, right? Yeah, that if you did have all of that all of the, at one time, right, it would just be too much to to, to process. Oh, yeah. yeah, you couldn't. The brain, <laughs> the brain wouldn't. Yeah, the brain wouldn't be able to process it. So you have to let go of stuff by default. Like it's, you realize, hey, I can't hold on to all this information because the brain can't understand it first off, and it can't hold on to all this. It can't store that much knowledge. And so it, you just start letting go of things and then eventually realize I have to pretty much let go of everything. Now, some Almost people don't like let go of everything. The autonomic nervous system just automatically is doing it to protect yeah. you. There are, there are some people that hold on to a lot of that, you know, a lot of their past lives. And, you know, there's um, Ian Stevenson wrote that book uh, about the children, you know, that remember their past lives, which is mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. I know the one, yeah. And that's probably yeah, because no they, way it can't be happening. Yeah, the, the, the one with the boy uh, that uh, with the World War II pilot wasn't right. in there. Yeah, yeah he was um, a, yeah, he's being on the ship and everything. Yeah, that was an incredible, incredible story. Yeah, there's some interesting Indian Indian boys too, like the one that um, oh, remember yeah. being shot, and then they found the actual store, the very store in the town that he was talking about. That's it right. actually existed, and that's what. And then, and then what was interesting is. Uh, he was telling them the name of the person that shot him and that led the police to go investigate this guy. And then that guy ended up admitting that he did it. Wow. So it actually led them to the murderer. It was really interesting. I think that's probably the most powerful case. I don't know how, I don't know how uh, documented it is though, but it's a really interesting case. Yeah, I do know. I do remember that being in there or hearing about that. But I mean, that just, that just shows that some, some souls are able to hold on and, and, train the brain to, you know, kind of like hide their, hide some of their memories in the brain so that that way they can remember it. But for whatever reason, once you get around seven years old, you get so, I think, indoctrinated by those around you telling you that mm-hmm. this can't be real. This is fake. Can't be real. And so, and then you just start to identify so much with the body and with social conditioning that most of them end up forgetting. Um, even if they remember when they're four, they end up forgetting by the time they're 12. Maybe some of them last a little bit longer because they've been they've been doing it a lot longer than some other quote souls that you're saying. Right. Yeah, yeah they like, call old old souls or whatever. You know. Yeah, the more experienced you are, you know, at, at this process, and the more you remember, you get better at it. And and uh, yeah, and I think that like if someone was a 
let's say a young soul they've only experienced you know human human life uh, very little very little amount of times before that they were something more like a primate let's say because mm-hmm. i because also how i understand evolution is like evol- or how i said reincarnation is kind of like evolution so you look at the evolution the evolutionary time scale of, of the human beings on earth we started from some sort of rat-like creature even even before that some fish-like creature but we'll go back to the rat-like creature mm-hmm. and that that creature evolved into a lemur type creature, which evolved into a monkey like creature, which evolved into ape like creatures and so forth, right? That's our that's our human evolution. Well, every soul has its own evolution. So you start out as something, you know, not very intelligent. And then as as you live life after life, you gain more intelligence because the soul doesn't forget anything. So when you live one let's say let's just go with the rat analogy. When you live one life as a rat, that's one life of experience. Then then you live two lives of a rat, that's two lives and three and four. And eventually you outgrow the rat because your soul remembers every single life it's lived. And so it you gets, level up, I guess. Yeah, yeah it gets so intelligent. <laughs> like game. Yeah, it gets so intelligent that it can't, it can no longer um, come back as something so primitive because it will immediately know what it is and yeah, know that it, it won't feel right and it, it'll mess up the process of the whole. Well, I like that idea too a lot more than, you know, that you've done something wrong or you've done something right. And, uh, and that's, why you would you know reincarnate um in, into something uh, you know more intelligent or a higher being it takes that out of it because that's always kind of bothered me a little bit right um, yeah it takes all the religion out of it what, what is right what is wrong you know there's just no at least to me you know the, the whole morality issue of uh you know we put we put those laws on onto ourselves right you know, living this life so who knows what it is uh, in between the rules so to speak <laughs> you know so, yeah, and yeah. that's a, that's another thing. You know, when I when I remembered um, like how karma works, it was very different than anything I've read about. And so, basically, karma is just a universal law in the universe, kind of like gravity. It doesn't care um, about mm-hmm. about your intentions. It doesn't care about right or wrong because it can't. And right. so, it's just a law. Like you can't ask a law to care. And basically, all it does is it balances out suffering. That's the that's all the law does. So if you cause suffering, you suffer. I don't like the idea. It's, this is one of the hardest concepts for me to to accept at the time when I first remembered it. I've learned to accept it, but I don't. I still don't like it. Okay, and, so then you do have one then. So suffering, but no, but nothing else. But but suffering. So you're, suffering you're suffering balances. Yeah, major it's balancing like, out. Right. It's not like a punishment. The universe isn't punishing you for doing wrong. It's just suffering balances. That's just happens to be how it works. And so if what I don't like about this is if I'm a dentist and the person volunteers for me to work work on their teeth and I cause them suffering in the process to get rid of their toothache, that suffering Mm -hmm. comes back to me. The universe doesn't care about my intentions. It it can't. You know, it doesn't process the fact that I'm causing the suffering to help this person not suffer. It doesn't matter. And there's there is no like good that balances so because good's not a real thing but suffering is a real thing. And yeah, so, I like that because it really simplifies this. I don't like it personally. I, I don't like how the universe works. No, but, no, I don't. But, but it I, makes it work. It's, yeah, but, you know, I, what <laughs> yeah, I always tell people, I'm like, I'm like, what are the odds that the universe would just happen to work the way I like it to? Pretty right. much, pretty much zero. You know, so the fact that I remember the universe working in a way that I don't like kind of validates it in a way for me. It's like, hey, why, why would I? Why would I make up something I don't like that doesn't, you know, like subconsciously, why would I do that? Then how do you deal with, you know, um, everybody says that we create our own universe, that we're constantly creating 
uh, everything that's actually happening to us when we're, you know, collapsing the wave functions and, and just by thought alone, you know, that we can achieve certain things, so on and so forth. So that would kind of all go out the window with this, wouldn't it? Well, I mean, in a way, in a, in a way, not like in a way we are creating our own, our own reality all the time. Um, you, you have every, every moment you have a bunch of possibilities before you, you might not see them, but they're all there. Otherwise you couldn't make the choice and, and everything you can ever do exists in that two-dimensional plane. So if, if you can just slap yourself in the face right now, that's because that possibility already existed. If it didn't exist, you couldn't do it. But so, we can't just create a life of, of uh, luxury and money, like people say, by intention is right, what I'm right. getting at. Right, yeah, 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 the, law, the law of attraction. So, right. But in a, in a way, it's, it's true and not true. So it's true that you can choose anything you want to do, but you can only choose from the available choices that exist. So, like I said, you can slap yourself in the face right now, which might seem yourself up to that point. It might I seem kind of right, but what you can't do right now is you can't just jump up and fly out your window like Superman, because <laughs> right. that's because that's not a possibility. That that's not something that ever existed at this part in time in that information. But it might be possible that somewhere down the line there is a possibility that you can fly fly like Superman, and if that which possi- means you've already done it, then right? Well, I mean, Since yeah, but it or no? Am I wrong? Well, I mean, it, it exists, but it doesn't mean you as a conscious entity has experienced that moment yet. Okay. So the moment it exists, it's there, but you as a conscious entity have it traveled down that path and, and, and personally experienced it and remembered experiencing it. And, and that's where choice really comes in is that we are choosing that. It's like a tree and we're choosing what branches to go down. So let's say somewhere down that tree, there is a branch where you can fly, fly like Superman, let's say. You would have to choose though, from this point to that point, you would have to choose to make all the right decisions, go down all the right branches to finally achieve that. So I do believe that in a way, the law of attraction has some truth to it, but the problem is, is that it's not immediate and, you, and it's not guaranteed. First why, would, off, why would we choose then to be born into, let's say, a war-torn country that's just, you know, dealing with, you know, no food, no potable water? I mean, just the worst possible condition you could ever think of. Right. Why, why would we do that? Right. Unfortunately, or, yeah, that's something that's not a choice we have. Uh, uh, the where, so not everything well, we do. Well, you did say that, so, okay. Yeah, so not everything we do is a choice. I, I think right. that's really easy to, that's really easy to figure out, like a real example let's say you're growing up in, in, in school and a bully comes up and socks you in the face. That's not a choice you have. Right. He chose to do that. So we're not the only ones that have free will. Everyone else around us has free will as well. And so we, we infringe on, on each other's will, like by doing our own will. But as far as the reincarnation- Nobody has to fill the space. <laughs> you know, somebody's got to be doing that. So Yeah. And I, 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 if you want to go down that road with the reincarnation thing, that's I think it's an interesting one to to go down, but yeah, yeah, just, sure. just really quickly, I want to finish the idea about the yep. law of attraction no, is please. that, yep. so you can influence the branches you'll go down. You just have to, you know, choose the right choices. And because you don't know what the right choices are, that's where having that positive attitude, having that believing that this is my future gives you a greater chance of going down greater. those right paths to where if it's possible that you can be rich in this life, you can get there. You just have to continue to go and make the right choices and, and believe in yourself. doesn't mean it's going to happen. It just adds to a higher statistical probability that right. it could happen. Yeah, it definitely, I think definitely having a positive and believing in yourself is going to get you there faster than thinking that you're shit. <laughs> yeah, I th- yeah, I think so too. <laughs> but yeah, as far as the reincarnation thing, so this, this is another interesting thing that I remembered is that, so there are, there are, um, 
there are hell planets out there. This is one of them. And I just use that anal- as an analogy. But um, what, what a hell planet is, is, is a planet that has been overrun with so much suffering that it's, it's kind of spiraling down and down and down. And this is one of those planets like that. So what happens is it, so let's say you've done a lot of suffering in, in your past lives and, and that suffering hasn't caught back up to you yet. Then you're, you're going to be, the more suffering you get built up in you, the more you're going to be pulled toward one of these kinds of planets to, in order to balance out because the universe is trying to balance everyone out. And so we've obviously, we all, the fact that we're here on this planet shows that we've all have had suffering that we need to account for. It doesn't yeah, mean that we're bad people. Evolving is true though. And yeah, we're not bad people, but and then again, made, with the senses and the way that our bodies are made, it is, it's a, it's like a prison. It really is because we're just so limited in what we're able to experience. We, we aren't made to really leave the atmosphere, right? We're kind of stuck here really on this planet. And I, I know people talk about, look, we got to get off the planet eventually because of population and this and that. Right. But why is it so difficult for us to do it? And I think you answer that because it is kind of like a, a prison planet. I hate to take from Alex Jones. Yeah, kind, 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 idea, kind of but, is. Yeah, it's, it's like it a, is. we're kind of in jail right now until we work out our yeah. our own inner struggles. And the uh, so if the reason why you don't end up on a planet with like really high technology is because those planets have all conquered suffering with technology. There, there's hardly any suffering that the bodies on that planet can endure because they've overcome physical pain through technology and they've overcome emotional pain through technology. And do you believe in the existential risks then? Like if this that that idea of the great filter that we've got to make it through that we're kind of at right now, that if we don't make it through and do the right things, that what we're just gonna die off, like maybe many other civilizations have all throughout the universe, that you know, very, very few, if any, maybe nobody ever has made it through that want that filter and made the right choices and right things to get through these, you know, like AI, you know, these different existential risks. Right. And some of them we have no well, control like, over, like an EMP or, or an asteroid or whatever. Right. Yeah. You know, like, like Michio Kaku talks about, you know, type zero civilizations becoming a type one civilization. It's, it's, it's not easy to do. So there, there's a big possibility that we won't make it ever to be a type one civilization yeah. that we, that we might get, you know, we might go to extinction as a human species. And that's a definitely a real possibility. But it looks like, you know, kind of promising. It looks like we're making really good discoveries in science and stuff that we might be able to survive. Like we were talking about, I really like what Elon Musk is doing. I've I've just been getting more and more uh, just infatuated with with the way the guy thinks that with somebody with the intelligence level that he has to even be thinking about us, you know, quote, surface dwellers, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, we're really nothing then, but he cares. I can see it, you know, like, and when I watch those interviews and I think he just like gave up on trying to get across to people that AI is very dangerous. No one's going to listen. It's just, it's going to happen. You know, that's deep, deep learning, all these, all these different things that that's why he wants to develop that, uh, Neuralink, right. In order yeah. to make you combat AI by, um, well, inter interlinking with it, so that at least we're on par with it. If if I'm understanding it correctly, I think that's his idea. Yeah, he basically realized that he can't convince people not to do it. They're going to make right. AI regardless, so we might as well try to make a way to live with it to counteract it. And that is making ourselves partly artificial intelligent. That way, we yeah. can 
keep up with it. I just love that he could pivot like that. He just didn't bang his head on the on the table. He just said, "Look, I got to stop thinking this way and pivot and come up with a, a different idea. Yeah, if I can yeah, get find across a anybody, <laughs> find a solution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it might that might be the very solution that we need to survive as a species. That we need to go exactly. through that, you know, yeah. through trans, you know, transhumanism. That we need to." transform ourselves basically into something different by giving us you know, brain you chips or whatever here on this prison planet to, to give us an opportunity to, to try to get through it. Who knows? Who knows? Oh, did you, um, uh, did you get a chance to look at that one that I went through with Elon Musk and, uh, and art and artificial I, intelligence? I only saw the, I just saw the one with Rogan and, and Musk. And then I did see, the other night there was another one I could see Musk on it, and I didn't have a chance to see it. So no, maybe that's the one you're. Oh no, I mean uh, the video now. I made analyzing, analyzing. Oh Elon no, Musk. I didn't. Oh yeah, it's, no. Uh, okay. okay, I gotta watch that one. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really, really interesting. I think that what you know, like what I believe that he saw and why his demeanor changed. And okay. Yeah, the idea is, is quite scary. If I'm right about what he, what I think he might have saw. I'm really into that. So yeah, I'm gonna watch that. Yeah, the, the basic the basic idea is that what if what he saw so right now google right it uses deep learning and that's how, that's why it keeps every year it gets better and better at you know doing things like you know seeing pictures and what's in the picture to, i think it's so far ahead of of anything they tell us anyways yeah by knowing what by knowing what you type you know and then being able to match up and stuff so it's, it seems like well how can that be dangerous right but <laughs> at the same time it's using deep learning which means that it's learning to learn on its own it's not being yeah. taught this and like a child does right. instead like a computer yeah and we don't know what limitations have we put on it they don't tell us i, I do yeah. i have heard um a couple google people that actually work at google and have worked on the code have said that they don't even know what it's doing they don't even know and i'm like and that's they're talking kinda, to each other a different yeah. right and they're linking them up and, and i think a lot of people even left google and which scares me uh, because of what zuckerberg has been doing and um let alone what he's just doing in china and building you know, that's a whole different the thing all together, but just in, right. Um, the, the Facebook of uh, censorship and and everything else is just it just angers me. And I wouldn't want somebody like that to be working on AI and things like deep learning that you know are very dangerous. Yeah. Um, and not just him. There's I'm sure there's plenty of other people we have no idea of and what are what are their intentions. You know they don't they don't allow us to have any say in the matter. Right. That's for sure. So what if what Elon Musk saw was that he, cause you know, he's a really powerful, rich guy. So he, he talks to all these people, I'm sure. What if what yeah. he saw was that after they told him certain things about, you know, deep learning, how it works within Google, what if what he saw was do what you guys have created is possibly, you know, very dangerous. So what if what he saw is that Google is no longer un being understood by anybody. No one really understands what it's doing anymore. That's and, out they've, of control. and they've hinted right? at this before. And and what it, what if Elon saw that hey you know what the, Google has access to every bit of information that's ever been on the internet since it started from from when AI started and to everything that's happening now live the amount of information it has at its fingertips is more than any human being could ever you know yeah. try to comprehend at one moment and it has it and, always and, and it's at, only starting it's only yeah. beginning too <laughs> and so right? what what if what what it's if what baby. Elon Musk saw was that a future where Google becomes aware. And the second it becomes aware, it's too late. It's just a matter of when it becomes aware. Like once it becomes aware, it's a God. 
like literally it has it ha- the amount of information it has available to it if it becomes aware of itself at that moment it's basically a god and unstoppable we want to stop it i think it might be really close to that you know I, I just i don't know why i get that feeling but you know everybody used to laugh at the whole thing with the uh, the mandela effect and but then when you talk about these d wave computers and what they're doing i mean they they flat out tell you they're reaching into parallel worlds in order to gather, you know, the the information that it needs, because of course there's not enough information in our own universe to do these calculations. So it needs to, to get it from these infinite number of other universes, let's say, or whatever it is. But but they're plainly saying it to us. They're telling us, even calling it uh, what do you call it? Uh, that he, every time he looks at it, it's like an altar to an alien god. Um, that that's 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 scary, man. Um, but yeah, maybe seeing that it's it's just ha- at an infant stage, but has maybe gained some sentience already. And so um, our, our only hope is what he said is to augment right. ourselves so that we can also that we can be on par with it, that we can actually comprehend and have the same amount of data at our fingertips through the Neuralink. And then connecting it to CERN, they've got them all collected uh, connected up to CERN now as well, um, which is you know a whole other thing. It's just scary as hell but oh yeah yeah i, I don't that. laugh at the mandela effect anymore because i think that you know again it's, it's on the macro level the quantum eraser effect they've said they can actually have detected it on the macro level so if it is as to me at least this way i'm thinking is that the more and more powerful it becomes the further back in time it's going to be able to affect things if that makes sense right like different memories and, and different pathways and and um, of decisions, maybe or, or, or wave function uh, collapsing um, that we're yeah. remembering things differently. Does that make any sense? <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> and, and also, you know, within my theory, the Mandela effect is definitely something that's possible because you know we we have access, like I said, to to all that every possible every possible life you can ever exist and exist, and we have access to that, and it's possible that. Consciousness, since consciousnesses are all interacting with this 3D plane, and we're we're all doing it together simultaneously, it's possible that if things like, just uh, say, one part of the universe has a weird collapse, or certain consciousnesses experience that collapse and others don't, that slight little offset of how consciousnesses are are moving down their timelines, we would have pretty much the exact same memories of the past, but just one little shift, one little change, like if I. If if me and let's say half the other half of the population take a slightly different branch than the rest of the population, we'd both be traveling down almost the exact same branch. They'd meet back up again, like all our branches would meet back up again. That's why we exist in the same plane. But because we slightly veered off, like let's say a branch that veers off and reconnects again, we'd have almost the same memories, but that would alter the other half's past memories of events. So we would all one half would remember, let's say uh, Nelson Mandela dying, and the other half wouldn't. And that would explain like how, why the Mandela effect happens. Are you still there? Oh yeah, sorry about that. I had to hit the cough button. I was trying to say that uh, uh, the the Mandela effect, based on what you were saying, it's just weird that it's entertainment based. It seems like it's in movies and and books and things, but then. Well, it's, Actually, it's in other places. No, because that's a, it's in other places, but that's kind of where it started. But what made well, me think that, that it's, it's not unusual is because that's 
so many people have seen these events that it would seem more likely that that's would be the Mandela effects that we would um, notice the most. Right, because that's probably happening all over the place. But right, like, what do we really talk about online? Like, so the only reason why this is even possible is because of online, right? Um, Localized Mandela effects wouldn't be that powerful because we we just we'd be like, ah, we we must remembering incorrectly. Just me and a few people that are like talking about it, we're like, ah, we just remembered Mm -hmm. incorrectly. But when you have millions of people online say, no, I remember, you know, that I remember Kazam being a movie. I remember putting that movie away when I worked at Hollywood Video, which I do remember, which is weird Mm -hmm. because it doesn't exist anymore, but. I remember so clearly putting two two movies away, Shazam and Kazam. Like there are two different movies I remember putting both away. I used to work on a video when I was a teenager, and uh, but yeah, oh, I guess so you're saying you you did yourself, so you you remember this? Yeah, yeah, I remember putting both those it's movies Shazam away. Shazam, yeah. <laughs> when I when I worked there, I I put both those movies away, but supposedly you know the other one doesn't exist. Doesn't and exist. um, but but I I do think that uh, here, I'll I'll just give an example really fast of a localized Mandela effect that I personally experienced. So me and a couple of friends and my sister used to always walk home from school uh, the same way. We'd go through this creek that went kind of behind uh, where our houses were. Uh, through like, there was like a school and then there was this little creek. And uh, there was a, the guy had a fence on one side of the creek and it, that fence extended into the creek. And so we ended up, somebody, not we, but somebody cut a hole in it. And so we would go through that little hole in order to get to the other side of the creek because up, up the creek more, it got thin enough to jump over. But that fence was in our way. So anyway, um, someone had cut a hole in it, so we always went went home that way. But one day I'm coming home, and the, the fence doesn't have a hole in it. And I looked at everyone. I'm like, "Hey, you all remember this fence having a hole in it, right? This is this is why we're going this way, right?" And they're like, "Yeah, of course." So like they must have fixed it. I'm like, "Yeah, I guess so." But then I started looking at it. So the fence was old and rusty. Where if they had replaced the fence, they replaced yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, you'd be able to tell. They replaced it with old rusty fence. Maybe they had some some old fence laying around that they used. But also the ties, you know how you have to tie the fence with mm-hmm. the with the metal ties? The metal ties were rusted as well. I'm like, why would they use old rusty? I can understand using old rusty fence, but why get an old rusty spool of tie? But I suppose that, that that's always a possibility. Who knows? Maybe they had an old spool of tie that was rusted and, and fence, and they, that's what they used to fix it. That's it's only- so interesting, though, and, and you would be somebody just because of the way that your mind works would pick up on something that's more localized, maybe than than somebody else. So, yeah. But I've had you know I've had other experiences like that where I just attribute it to I don't know my my brain must be remembering it wrong. But when me and other friends remember it the exact same way, I'm like, that's weird. Why would we remember? It? And then and then year this was years ago, right? I was a teenager, so um, it's only recently that this Mandela effect became a big thing because of the you know the internet. And yeah, so once I started seeing that, you have false memories. I mean, you know, we, oh, we yeah, know definitely. that witnesses and crimes are like, you know, it's the worst <laughs> thing. People forget things, you know, almost immediately. But some things are just so, you know, ingrained in you that you just absolutely just know it happened. Like you're saying with with this fence, uh, it's just yeah. And some of them are really easy to explain, you know, like some of the Star Wars ones and things like that. Like Luke, I'm your father. I can explain that yeah. one really easily. Um, why people remember it wrong. But there's other ones that are really difficult to explain away. Give me, give me that one because that is a big one. What do you think on the so, Star Wars? So I think what on. happened was um, – so, Was this in the so, remake version? Well, no. I think what happened was uh, – and I think even why the actor remembers it wrong is that it's impl- the no is implied, but it's just not written. It's just not there, but it's implied. So our brains remember it because everyone just starts quoting it that way. So we all remember it that way. Got because it. Fill he, it in. He just – yeah, he says Luke. Luke, I am your father. But um, 
It's oh, almost no, he like doesn't say that, he? of the written word. <laughs> right, he doesn't even say Luke, right? He does, he just says. Right. See now, now I forget how it actually goes because. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because no, it's right. so messed up now. But I think he just says he just says. Does he say no? I am your father. I thought it is Luke. Luke, I am your your father. No, no, that, that, yeah, that's the, that's, now, that's too, the false I memory. Totally, like now, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, I think I think the Luke is the false memory part, but it's implied yeah. because he's talking to him, and right. And the, I think a good explanation of this is that if if we if we were talking to a friend about this line, and we just said no, I am your father, it doesn't make much sense. We're like, what do you like out of context? A single line out of context doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So we added Luke, I'm your father, because out of context that made more sense. But in, in yeah. the it, when we're watching the whole scene. He doesn't have to say Luke because we know who he's talking to. But when we're when we're quoting that line to friends, it doesn't make sense that we'd say just know I am your father because and which the brain does all the time with different things. It fills in holes. And- right. And so when the toys came out, they also say Luke, I am your father because they're quoting a line out of context. It wouldn't make a lot of sense if you push your little toy and it says I am your father. Like what? <laughs> who are you talking to? <laughs> but and the it- other big one. How about um, uh, the life is like a box of chocolates. Cause that, that's, that's pretty big. And I think I even saw, they showed a box, um, but maybe that's the same effect that you're talking about right now. They put it on the box cause that's how everybody's remembering it. But right. Um, and there's, there's actually two, two, they shot two versions of that scene and okay. each scene has the different words in it. So there you go. So that could be it right there. Yeah. Maybe people watch the outtakes or something and remember it that way. It also feels more natural. I think the way a lot of people remember it. But there, like I said, there there are a few that are really really hard. Here's one for me. I can't get around this one. Um, what's the uh, the mirror mirror on the wall? Yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah, I remember so clearly that's that that's how it goes because even that's even how the poem goes that that they got it from. What does they say now? It's magic mirror. Magic right? mirror, right? And so right. what's weird about that is I know that Disney writers are really good writers, and yeah. they know what cadence is. They know what they know how to yeah. write write poetry, and magic mirror on the wall because of the jick, it has a harder sound than than mirror 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 That's flows. A really good point. And, and magic a really- mirror sounds clunky. Why would they write something clunky, especially when the original that they got it from says mirror mirror on the wall? Yeah, and that was really strange. I just I can't I don't understand how and why they would have made that and choice. And it's very precise in everything that they do. There's meaning in everything that they do. In, yeah, in these. Uh, movies that yeah they don't they don't make mistakes (laughs) and even as an alternative timeline i'm trying to figure out why would someone make that choice like why would they write it as magic mirror when it just doesn't even sound as good like from from an from even from a a non-subjective from an objective poetic point of view it can be easily argued that the cadence isn't there because of because the the syllable's hard and not soft like mirror so it doesn't make a lot of sense that they would write it that way maybe it's subconscious just because the mandela effect is almost magic you know <laughs> right I, you know that could be it i don't know yeah, yeah it is weird it just makes it even more difficult because like you're saying there's so many of them that you could explain but then so many you can't that it's like it's it's just it's this rabbit hole that just it's gonna just drive you crazy you know it's just right. like it's never ending <laughs> yeah that one really bothers me I, I try not to think about it because it right if i think about it too <laughs> deeply I, it really starts bugging me it does yeah i'm like how can i remember this wrong Absolutely. Well, we've gone about a, about an hour. And like I said, um, the reason I wanted to do this, this interview is so that we can, we can get these ideas and, and concepts out. Um, but 
I want people to go to your channel. Um, like you said, there's so much information. I mean, we could, we could be here all day and all night um, with the information that you have out there. Um, but people need to, to watch this and, and watch it more than once. You know, if you don't understand it, that anybody can understand this. I believe that I really do in the, in the way that you explain it. Um, oh, yeah, you're talking about watch the time, rewind it and watch it again. Yeah. All okay, of your videos. Watch the video. Yeah. The, the theory of everything video. Absolutely. Um, do it's you a long have video too. It's a, like two hours, I think two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. Yeah. But it goes, it goes by pretty quick. Goes by pretty quick. If you, you know, if you're into it, you know, <laughs> I'm into it. So, and a lot of people are. You know, I think a lot of people are into this. That are waking up. You know, that are, uh, you know, wanting knowledge. And and like I said at the at the beginning before we got on, um, just how I really don't like that statement that people make about knowledge. And well, you know, that uh, you know, wisdom is knowing that we we are never going to know everything, and that's true. Okay, that's fine. But I think we need to shelf that now. And we need to put that aside and then really start focusing on what we can figure out. Because we're, we're I think a lot of people and everyday people too can have great ideas and great thoughts, but they move right past it just because they've been taught that for so long that like, what's the point? What's the point of even trying to figure it out? Because it's just going to lead to more and more questions. Um, which is right. true, but it still shouldn't stop you from maybe just focusing on one thing that, uh, that you're really into and understand, you know, to start with that. And, um, you know, you could, you'd be, be another, be another Neil Fontaine, you know, I mean, you know, and come to, up with uh, fantastic can happen to, to anybody. You yeah, know? And, I, and to do so I with an open that. mind because. Yeah, you gotta be. Very yeah. Good. Cause there's, there's, we have all these. If we just if we look at, for example, the double slit experiment and we go in it, we went to college and we, we learned about Copenhagen's interpretation. If we just automatically apply Copenhagen's interpretation, not think about our own interpretation, why right. it works that way, then that's a closed mind. We're just we're just being conditioned to accept what we what we think it means. But to actually oh, the challenge the community is the worst at that too. I mean, yeah, just... to cha challenge science and challenge our preconceived ideas and notions of things and and especially to look at alternative explanations of something. Don't just assume that this is right, especially when there's paradoxes. If there's paradoxes within the theory, then then try to figure those out, try to make those go away. And if that leads you down a road of, let's say, simulation theory of some sort, then that's just where it leads yeah. you. And, and have, have belief in yourself too. Have some confidence and some empowerment that, look, it's nothing wrong with being wrong. Um, you know, if you go down that path and you find out that it's wrong, good, fine, then start again. Um, just keep going. Um, yeah, I think that holds a lot of people know. back. You just don't know, right? Yeah, I think that holds a lot of people back is that fear of being yeah. wrong. Yeah, fear so, of failure. Yeah, who cares if you're wrong? Like, I, I think that holds a lot of physicists back. Even they feel like, well, one fear they, of success. Yeah, and one <laughs> they are actually they are actually encouraged to not. I, I I listened to this physicist that he's a theoretical theoretical physicist, and he was talking about how you know his job at many times was in jeopardy, and he he had tenure. So he's not supposed yeah. to be able to get kicked out, but they basically, in so many words, told him like, "Hey, your job's, you know, you need to stop stop doing theoretical stuff and start doing real physics." And that that idea is so prominent, you know, among physicists. It's kind Isn't of sad. That weird real physics. And again, I think there's something, and I hate to be conspiratorial about it, but again, I think there's so much going on that we don't know, and that they want you know, just the average everyday person to understand. And again, quantum physics is, uh, there we go. Someone's drilling outside now. Great. Um, you know, they'll only understand the, the basics 
um, you know, this is over what, 120, 130 years old already. Right. Um, you know, these concepts that, um, yeah. And, and they're not even really teaching them at a basic level, um, to where like, you know, Einstein did his thought experiments to where people could understand a, a lot of this, um, just by doing and thinking, um, you need a little bit of creativity, but you can teach yourself to do it. You don't have to understand the math. And right. saying that, let's get out that you are looking for a theoretical physicist to volunteer their time to do the math, um, yes. to test out your theories, right? Yeah, yeah, I would, I would, yeah, that'd be awesome if someone out there that would, you know, want to. And, and I'm sure there's got to be someone out there that's thinking along the same lines. Sure. And uh, yeah, that'd be great if they can look, look, maybe I'll say something in the video that just yeah, takes something, take something they're already thinking a little bit about and like, oh, wow, that fills in the gap I've been trying to think about. And then all of a sudden now, now it's complete. And then once they have a complete idea, they can apply the math to it. Any specific type you're looking for, or you just, anybody, <laughs> I'll take anybody right now. Well, obviously it has to be a theoretical I mean, physicist they gotta yeah, yeah, that, that is well-schooled in maths, like, you know, string theory, yeah. math and stuff like that. Pretty much any theoretical physicist is going to have a good education in, in string theory and all that kind of stuff. They, they can't I was just going to say on string theory would be the closest, right? Yeah, because they can't be a theoretical, a theoretical physicist without having that background. Because mm -hmm. that's where Absolutely. that's you know, that's pretty much, and that that's really popular right now. Anyway, theoretical, you know, string theory is super popular right now. Almost everyone learns it if you go to become a physicist. So, and I the, really, and the, really, and then also how how it's. I was going to say also how it's spelt because um, I think nomicism is kind of hard to spell when you just hear it. Yeah, I always do it. I, I've been that's what I've been putting a C in, then an S in, and then I, <laughs> and then I reverse it around, and now I've got it right. But uh, right, so, yeah, actually, spell that out so people know. Yeah, so it's n a m i c i s m dot com. That's right. Yeah. It's a sism like mm -hmm. we put out at the end of a lot of words. Yeah, yeah. I just took the M out for some weird reason. Why. All right. But a lot of people, uh, I, I've wanted to change the name so many times because like, like, I do a lot of debating on Baltoc and a lot of people, when mm -hmm. they hear the word nomicism, they're like, what, like Vietnam? Like they just immediately go to something that nom sounds like. And I'm like, no, like, like namaste. No, you got to stick, you got to stick with it. it it's, it, it, it'll work. People get it. It's, um, you know, it's, it's a brand after a while. It's like, I have a, my travel company, my travel tech company, it's called Ubigo. It's just a nonsensical you know, internet word, but I stuck with it because it is so weird, you know, that, um, yeah, it six, Ubi Dozi's remember. Think for a minute. Yeah. It's just a weird name, but, uh, kind of like Yahoo. I'm hoping, I'm hoping <laughs> it'll stick. Yeah, exactly. Or Google spelled well, the wrong way. Yeah. God, I see that all the time. Goggle. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I, I, I read a story about how they, how that happened. I think some, whoever the web guy or something spelt it wrong later, I was like, Oh, whatever. It's already out there. Let's just go with it. <laughs> Cause it's actually, oh, you're saying they did have a different name was it, it was spelt wrong. And then that's what they went with. No, I mean, it's spelled wrong. Now Google is not spelt correct. It's G O O G O L as in like Google Plex, Google, like the number. Say that again. Say that one more time. So the way they have it spelled is G O O G L E right. Google, but the word right. Google is spelt. G O O G O L, which is a number. It's a very, very large number. Oh, oh yeah, the number Google. Got it. Yeah, got it, got and that's it. what they were trying to go after. But I guess one of the guys spelt it wrong on accident, and they just like you know, it was already out there in the public. That let's just go mm -hmm. with it. Let's use the misspelling. Yeah, I mean, yeah. 
It and the misspelling could be more memorable. Yeah. Just because it is misspelled. So. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. And most people aren't, so the, most um, people aren't familiar with the word Google anyway. So. No, they don't. Yeah, exactly. I don't remember. And I think they actually, now it's gone even, even higher where they have Google Plex and it's. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. I've actually had people correct yeah. me when, when I've typed that we're talking about science and stuff and I've actually typed Google the correct way. I've had people correct me because they think that Google is right because of Google. I don't even think there's a point to it because then you just get into infinity and I've been getting into all these weird concepts in math that I did barely understand, barely, but just the concept of infinity plus one, you know, that that's the thing. It's a, it's an actual number. Yeah, but that, know? that works in math. But the thing is, yeah. math is rounding infinity. So it's not really infinite. Right. They're not, a computer can't deal with real infinity because it would have to sit there and calculate forever and ever and ever. So when it calculates pi, it's rounding it off at some point. It's not, it's not just, you can't look at that number forever at some point it cuts it off so we until don't, ai takes over <laughs> I, I don't i don't point. understand how it would ever be possible to process an, an infinite number like truly process it because it would literally take forever to process it well that's true yeah it's never ending it, it would never reach the end yeah because yeah. when, when something has truly no end no matter how fast you can process you can't process all of it ever so you're always no, no, and if you're reaching into infinite parallel worlds as they say they are, it still wouldn't matter because it's still a nonsensical, right? It's still infinity. It's right. infinite. Yeah. So no matter what we're calculating, yeah. we're always calculating a finite something, whatever it is. Finite. It has a certain size to it that we're calculating. It's just so big that it might as well be infinite. It might as well be. Exactly. All right. Let everybody know the um the the channel specifically on YouTube. Is it just nomicism or, or I can't remember if it has an ex a more specific name. So if you, I mean, I'm, I'm going to check right now, actually, cause I'm not really sure. Make sure that they go to the I right I think place. if you just type nomicism into Google, it should come up. I'm going to check come right up. now. It does. When I do, it does. Or actually, I just, search. I just did that and it didn't come up. Oh wait, I mean, hold on. I spelled it wrong. Got the second I. So let's see here. So yeah, actually, so that the channel that comes up on Google is Namicism New Reincarnation. Okay. That would be what okay. the channel is called. Right. Sure people know. And for your art too, which we didn't get into, because it's a totally different discussion, but you know, in case people want to get into art and, and learn, um, you know, I've looked at a couple of those videos too, that, you know, you have a whole bunch of different courses there as well. Right. right. Yeah. If they, if they just search my name, well, will, will my name somewhere be like, they can actually read it somewhere on the site. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. If they, if they just, um, if they just type my name, Neil Fontaine, uh, and, and they do pop up along with all the rest of the stuff in YouTube, anyways. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if they type my if they type my name into, uh, or if they just go to udemy.com and they type my name, Neil Fontaine, my my courses will come up. I think my anatomy course right now has like sixty thousand students or something. Okay. Well, I'm also gonna um, make this into a YouTube video, so that way we got it out as a podcast, got it out as a, a YouTube video. See if we can get out as much words as we can to find that theoretical physicist. Um, I know I'm going to use Twitter. I'm going to try to get out as much info there too. And uh, anybody else that's out there thinking, please, you know, help, help Neil. Maybe, you know, somebody, you know, that's uh, working as a faculty member anywhere. I'm sure we got to be able to find somebody, you know, like you said, there's somebody out there thinking along the same lines. Um, we just, we just need to get you connected. That's all. Right. So, and, and what the exact title of the video, just in case they, um, have yeah. a hard time finding is it's nomicism theory of everything mind-blowing 
mind blowing. That's right. I remember it is. Yeah, because it's it's quite. The first time I watched it, it was mind blowing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's definitely a different idea. I mean, it's like I said, it has a lot of similarities to things people are talking about right now, like you know these simulation theories. But it's it's different because even though it's a contradiction of terms, it's a self simulation universe or self simulating universe. Well, and I like your 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 cadence, just the way you do explain it, and you do you go through it slowly so that people can understand it. And uh, I really do. Don't I don't want people to get scared off and, and hearing anything that we've been talking about that they, that you can get this, you can understand it. Like I said, just watch the video again if you have to. But it's uh, a lot of very interesting things here. Um, and yes, and especially if you've been thinking about uh, simulation theory, um, you know, this is just a whole new concept. But Neil has wrapped really everything up into into one package um, here. So, yeah, man, I wish you all the luck in the world. I'm, I'm hoping that we we can we can we can find just somebody that can run this um, mathematically and and prove some of this would be amazing. It'd just absolutely be amazing. To do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot to mention that. So, yeah, if there is a physicist phys- phys- out there, <laughs> I was gonna say if there is a physicist out there that wants to work on on the theory. Um, obviously there, there might be some tweaking that needs to be done. And, uh, and I have, you know, all the understanding in my brain about how it all works. Some of that might not have explained the best way possible for a physicist to like work out mathematically. So if they, you know, obviously I'm willing to talk with them and email and stuff like that. And and they can be like, Hey, so I'm working out this part mathematically, but, um, you know, I'm I'm coming across this problem. I can probably solve it really easily just by going. Yeah. You're open source. You want people to add to this. You want people thinking about it. You want to get, you know, this, this physicist, which I also really enjoy. Um, and also, like you said, uh, knock on wood, nothing ever happens to you, but God forbid it did. At least your information is out there now. Um, and, uh, being watched by more and more people, you get that hundredth monkey effect or whatever, you know, and who knows what will happen. So, right. Yeah, no, not, yeah. Yeah. What I was saying is, I'm pretty good at problem solving. So if they bring up a problem, I can probably solve it. And be like, you know what? Have you tried this? Like, think about yeah, it this way. Like, what if you what if you did this math? They're like, oh, I didn't think about that. You know, sometimes you know, more than one mind trying to figure out problems helps. Always, you know, I think so. The more the more the merrier. And I, you know, I also design video games, so I have to be good at problem solving. Otherwise, you know, games would be okay. full of bugs and not work. <laughs> oh, I didn't know you did that too. Yeah, yeah, you'd have to be for sure. All the coding. Yeah. Um, so also, so if they want to get in touch with you, um, what's the best way, um, email or how, how would you want them to do it through, through Facebook or, um, yeah, they, 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 they could get hold me through Facebook. Um, another way would just obviously would be on, I think on the site they can, let me check and make sure. I think there's a, I can't remember if I put it on this site or not. I'm just checking real quick. I think I do. I, know I did through Facebook. Oh Took yeah, that's right. Time. I'd be patient because you are busy. I so, was just very tenacious. <laughs> yeah. So on, on the website, anomicism.com, there is a chat with us thing. And that will basically, okay. if you type something there, that will basically go to my email. And then um, also, yeah, you can, there's, you can find Nomicism, um on, on Facebook as well and contact me that way. Perfect. All right, everybody. I just, yeah, I wanted to just whet everybody's appetite, um, not get too far in. Cause again, there's just so much information just make sure and go to the YouTube channel, start going through the going through the videos, and I, I know you're going to enjoy it. And it is mind blowing, actually. We've barely even scratched the surface of, of of any of this, literally. So have fun and enjoy it, um, Neil. Thank you, thank you so much. Uh, no for problem. Thank you for having me on. 
absolutely really really enjoyed it so in fact uh if anything comes across you've got any new um uh things to add to this let me know and let's get you back on <laughs> okay okay if at all possible i'd, I'd appreciate that I had, I had a good time all right all right thank you all right thank you all right we'll head on out all right bye bye-bye Thanks for listening, and hopefully you've added something to your knowledge base. Subscribe now, and please give us a five-star rating. Spread the love, and feel free to leave a kind written review for us. Your humble hosts gain knowledge after every episode. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Pull Up a Pew Podcast. That's P-U-L-L-U-P-A-P-E-W Podcast. Again, Facebook and Instagram at Pull Up a Pew Podcast. P U L L U P A P E W Podcast. And Twitter at Pull Up a Pew. Again, P U L L U P A P E W. Twitter at Pull Up a Pew. Please also consider supporting us through Patreon with anything you feel you can afford at patreon.com slash pull up a pew patreon is spelled p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash pull up a pew that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash p-u-l-l-u-p-a-p-e-w we will also be doing shows and supporting the innocence project There can be no greater crime or misery than having your liberty and freedom taken away knowing you're innocent. So thanks for listening. And if you're a new podcaster and want to have advantages we can offer you through our partnership with Asander Production and Worldwide Motion Pictures, then email us at info at pullupapewpodcast.com. That's pullupapew, P-U-L-L-U-P-A-P-E-W, podcast.com. Dot com. <laughs>